take out the book that really matters above all, and that's this book right here. If you have your copy of God's Word, look at John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6. If you'd like to use the Bible that's provided for you, it's page 890. We will continue again next week our journey through the book of Hebrews. Uh, We're coming to the close of that, but here on our anniversary Sunday... And this Sunday, as we look back on God's faithfulness and celebrate, and as we look forward in faith and anticipate what God is going to do, I felt long ago, as I was thinking about this special moment that we have right now, that the Lord would have us in this passage of Scripture. It's been very significantly placed on my heart. So let's read God's Word. If you are able and you can stand, please stand, and we will read God's Word This wonderful passage, John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. John 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves by those, left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now this is a wonderfully beloved passage of scripture. If you have been in church for any amount of time, certainly you have been in a Bible study or Sunday school class, vacation Bible school, or in worship where this passage has been the focus and has been taught. It is such a beautiful, beautiful story from the life of Christ, and it's so powerful, and it is so very unique. This is truly a unique miracle. Truly unique. Because of all the miracles which Jesus performed, this is the only miracle which is recorded in all four 
of the Gospels. Jesus performed hundreds of miracles, no doubt thousands, but only this one is recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, why is that? Well, John here refers to it not as a miracle. He refers to it as a sign. It's interesting, John's gospel is different than the other gospels in that John selected only seven of Jesus' miracles to record in his gospel, but he does not use the word miracles to speak about them. The word that John chose to describe Jesus' miracles were, well, not miracle, but the word sign, a sign. John chose seven miracles, this one of the seven, and it's also mentioned by the other disciples, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, chosen because it is a sign. It's a sign not of what Jesus can do. It's a sign of who Jesus is. It's not a, a sign of his ability. It's a sign of his identity. This miracle, perhaps more than any other of the miracles, identifies that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, the text here says that the crowd saw this miracle, this sign, and at one level they got it. One level, a very low level, they got it. In verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. Now, when they say this indeed is the prophet, they're referring back to something Moses said. Moses told the children of Israel 1,500 years before Jesus, you may not listen to me, but there will rise up by God a prophet in another latter day, and to him you will listen. And so when these people saw that Jesus was providing food, bread, and fish, just as God through Moses had provided the manna and the quail, they immediately said, this is the prophet. This is the one that Moses was talking about. But then immediately they showed that they really didn't get Jesus because they began to think, if Jesus can do this, if he can provide this for us, well, he can provide for us as a people. He can be our king. Let's make him king. Verse 15 says, Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. And Jesus knew this was not why he had come. His kingdom was not of this world. His kingdom was going to be a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of his disciples. He also knew that this would lead to a bloodbath, that his disciples would be descended upon by the Romans. This was not the plan of God. And he pulled away. He would not allow himself to be manipulated for political purposes. And friends, let me tell you to this very day, if I might, 
our Lord Jesus Christ will not be used by any political party. He is not of any party. Jesus is not of the party of the donkeys, not of the party of the elephant. He is the lamb, right? And my friends, make sure you identify yourself that way. Not by an elephant or a donkey, but by the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Because we are citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. And our leader, our king, our president, our prime minister is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our ruler. We don't ever want to forget that. Ever forget that. Now, his true disciples did understand. Because you see, immediately after this, if you were to continue reading chapter 6, you will find out that Jesus decided it was time to raise the bar. And he began to tell the people that he had come not to provide physical bread, but to, to provide spiritual nourishment. That their great hunger was not the need of physical food. The great need they had was for their starving souls to be filled. For them to be filled with life from God. And he began to say, you must come to me. You must take of me. Even like eating my flesh and drinking my blood, you must receive me into your very self or you will not see the kingdom of God. And when he began teaching like that, guess what happened to the big crowd? They began to leave Jesus because they had signed on for the feast. They had signed on for the revolution. They hadn't signed on for this. And they began to leave. But his disciples, true disciples, Peter spoke for them. When Jesus turned to them, one of the most poignant moments in the life of Jesus, he said to his 12, are you going to leave me too? And God blessed Peter. Most of the time, he just opened his mouth to put his foot in it. But this time, he spoke another great word of truth. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. They got it. And they told this story in the years to come, time after time after time. And wherever the gospel went, whether it went first Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, wherever those individual gospels went before they were unified in the New Testament, this story went with it. Now, why did the disciples love this story? Why did they love this miracle so much? You know why? Because of all the miracles of Jesus, listen carefully, they shared in this one. They shared in this one. Have you ever thought about it? Where did the miracle take place? Jesus, by his simple thought, by the thought process, made the miracle happen. He multiplied the very DNA and atoms and molecules of this food. But where did it happen? The miracle happened in the disciples' hands. 
The miracle was happening in their hands. And for the rest of their lives, the disciples would testify, I tell you, he made food in my very hands. In my very hands, he did it. Now, this passage is so full of application for disciples through the ages. That's the reason it's in the Word. So we'll know who Jesus is and we'll also know what Jesus can do and how we can share in what Jesus is doing. But I'd like us to just make a couple of applications I can. This morning, as we look back on our anniversary Sunday, as we look back to God's faithfulness and we look forward in faith, Let's just make a couple of applications from this remarkable miracle. First thing I want you to see in this message about sharing in the miracle. These disciples were sharing in the miracle with their own hands. I want you to notice that they were partnered in this miracle even as they gave the provision for the miracle. What was the first provision? The first provision for the miracle was given by the disciples as they brought this boy and his lunch to Jesus. Now notice a couple of things here. There's, there's some things that are very clear. The Lord wanted something done. He was very clear about it. He said, I want you to give these people something to eat. He was very clear about what he wanted done. Secondly, it's also very clear that the requirements for what the Lord wanted done were far greater than the available resources. It was clear what the Lord wanted done, but it was also clear they didn't have the resources. The Bible says here there were 5,000 men, and the word men here means males. If you add women and children, how big must this crowd have been? 15, 20,000 people. And the Lord said, I want you to give them something to eat. Now immediately, one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, he had already done the math. He had already done the math. I kind of identify with him. That's probably what I'd have done as well. He, he did the calculation. You know, I don't know if he had a stylus or something, you know. But he ran the numbers. He said, Lord, 200 denarii wouldn't even give them a bite. You know how much a denarii is? A denarii is how much one man would make in wages for one day's work. He said, you could take 200 days worth of wages and everybody wouldn't even get a bite to eat. Philip had done the math and now he's offering up a feasibility study. I mean, this is unbelievable. He, he's, he's, he's already formed a committee. Have I ever told you the definition of a committee? This is free. Let me, t let me give you the definition of a committee. A committee is a group of people who individually can do nothing and collectively agree nothing can be done, okay? That's a committee, all right? That's a committee. Now, that's the reason we don't have committees at West Park. There's not one committee in our church. Don't have any committees. We don't. 
We have leadership teams of people who believe in the vision of an area of ministry and they get in and serve in that area of ministry and their heart's in it. Don't you know you get real excited when someone says, you know, we've got an empty chair on our committee and we just got to fill this committee. Boy, that's just getting in your heart there, isn't it? No, we don't have committees. We have leadership teams, okay? And now I don't know if you can be a Baptist church and not have committees, but we don't have any. I'm telling you that, okay? But God bless Andrew. Andrew, he didn't have perfect faith. But he had already scrounged around to see, well, what do we have? And all he could find was boy that had lunch. And when it says he had five loaves, you need to understand that means five biscuits. Five biscuits and two pieces of fish. This was a little boy's lunch. And God bless Andrew. He brought the little boy to Jesus. Now, this is interesting. You want to do a study of, of Andrew? Here's what you'll find about Andrew. Every time he's mentioned in the Gospels, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. First person he brought was his brother, Simon, who became Peter. And when there were some Gentiles that wanted to see Jesus from far off Greece, it was Andrew who reached across the racial boundaries and brought in people to see Jesus. It was Andrew that brought them to Jesus. And here he is bringing this little boy and his lunch to Jesus. Now notice, this is very important. The Lord's provision, the Lord's provision for the miracle, he knew what he was going to do. But his provision for the miracle began with the resources that were already available. What was already available? What do we have? We got five biscuits and two pieces of fish. That's all we got, Jesus. Give it to me. This boy's lunch, that's all. That's all they had. They're about to find out that's all they need. Matter of fact, they didn't even need that. But the Lord always says, give me what you have. In reality, he needs nothing. But the Lord is able to take what seems to be so insignificant, and meet needs that are beyond the resources that we have. We have experienced that at this church over these last 32 years. My, how the Lord has shown he can take just what we have and make something out of it that we can't even imagine. I'll give you one example. Years ago... As the Lord had blessed our church and we grew and grew here on this site, this, these few acres we had here, eight or nine, we were outgrowing this site. Didn't have enough room. We couldn't even build another building because we didn't have room to park the cars. We thought, what are we going to do? We need to pray about this. Should we relocate or what, what's, what should we do? And there was next to us over here, uh, 75 acres that were available. 75 acres it was a family farm. It had been abandoned for many years. The house was kind of falling down. But the mother of the grown children said, I don't want you to sell the farm while I'm alive. My heart's just too much there. Our family moved there in 1936. And so they promised her, 
They would not do it until she died. And that dear lady lived to be 103. <laughs> I don't want you to know. Don't ask me how I was praying for that lady. But I was praying for her. <laughs> so finally, the dear lady, saint of God, she passed away. And so we approached the people, the family, about buying the land. They said, well, one thing, you got to buy it all. We're not interested in dividing any of it. You got to buy all 75 acres, the whole thing, or we're not interested. And so we prayed about that, the 75 acres, and we bought the 75 acres, $3.5 million. We paid for that. That land was divided into two pieces, 30 acres over here, little neck of land back here, and 45 acres will go over the hill. And that was so bad terrain, and it was so inaccessible from up front. We, but we had to, buy, had to buy the whole thing. Well, in those, that season, we were also in need of providing for our students they were meeting over in another world's fair building there was another one in front of the one we had and it was falling down I mean literally in class time it'd fall down on students this wasn't helpful so we <laughs> we knew we knew we needed to do something needed to build a building for our student ministry and other ministries and so finally believe it a developer came and offered to buy that 45 acres and we sold the 45 acres, uh, that land, and we were able to build the Hub Student Center that we have now. And that became part of our ministry. Well, then we had this land next to us, but it was a most rough land, a deserted farm, thickets and briars. The people would let me walk on it and pray over it over the years. I'd done it several times. I'd worn out some pants, <laughs> torn up. By praying and I told the Lord, Lord, if you let us have this property, it's yours. It'll be a kingdom peace until the Lord Jesus returns by your grace. Prayed that and prayed that. But now we had the land. What can we, how can we develop it? We've put this commitment into buying it. Well, uh, some of you were here. A man approached a contractor said, listen, they're widening Hardin Valley. All this gross going out in Hardin Valley. That two-lane road won't work anymore. We've got to make that into a four-lane highway. We've got to have dirt. We've got to have a lot of dirt. And we noticed you've got dirt here. I said, we got dirt. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> he said, I tell you what, if you will let us over the next few years have access to the dirt, we will form the property to the parking lots, the roads, we'll put in the fields, we'll put in the retention ponds, we'll do all of that just for the dirt. And for the next few years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of loads of dirt went off of this property. I used to say we were the church spreading dirt all over town. <laughs> it would go that way and some of it went this way. Even if you go over here to McDonald's and Pilot, that's sitting on our dirt. And, and they still won't let me have discounts. I go over there and say, hey, this is our dirt you're sitting on here. But it all went out there. Friends, do you hear what I just said? All we had was dirt. Amen. Acres and acres of dirt. And almighty God. You don't need anything. 
when God calls something to happen, <laughs> it's his dirt. <laughs> I love that story. Some of you heard me tell it many times. Trust me, if I live, you're going to hear it again. It's just a, a great story. I hope I don't embellish it over the years, okay? Miracle. The miracle was in the dirt. We need a miracle, and we're walking around on the miracle. You see, when we partner with God, here's the principle. When you partner with God, you partner with God with what you have not what you wish you had. You partner with God with what you have. What do you have? We've got a boy's lunch. It's all we got. Okay. What do you have? We've got a bunch of dirt. Okay. And then we know the joy of the partnership and the provision because we use what we have and God takes what we have and he multiplies it. And that's another insight to this story from the Bible and insight and application to our story. Here's the second thing. And finally, I want you to see partnership in sharing in the miracle is partnership in participation in the miracle. It's partnership in participation in the miracle. It was time to begin. It's time to feed the people. Jesus said, Okay, give me what you got. Jesus took the five biscuits and the two pieces and he broke them and blessed them. Then the other accounts tell us he gave them to his 12 disciples. Now, now do the math. What do you have now? Five biscuits, two fish divided by 12. Divided by 12. So he gives each one of those disciples one-twelfth of a little boy's lunch. Each one of those disciples probably has his day bag on it around his neck, which men and women would carry and have their, their food or things in that. And so they put their little one-twelfth of a lunch in there and then turn around and face 20,000 people. Can you imagine? Close, Okay. And eyes closed. And one of the disciples hears someone say, Oh, thank you so much. That's too much for me. What? <laughs> How did that happen? There's more in there. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you can just hear, you know, Philip ran the numbers. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> Andy. Yeah. Oh, same over here. How about you, Bart? Bartholomew. How about you? Yes, same thing. They are giving it out. And the miracle is happening in their hands. And people got all they wanted. They were full. And then Jesus said, gather up those provisions. Don't let anything go to waste. I've always thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if they gave a couple basketful to the little boy? Maybe he put them in a cart and then he went home and he said to mom, I'm not lying. Mom, this, not, I'm not lying. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. A miracle was happening in their hands. They got to watch God work. I must tell you, sometimes when I, not nearly as often as I should, we get so focused on the moment, but sometimes when I can just step back and think over the 32-year film strip, I say, how is this possible? 32 years ago when Susan and I came, the church budget was $118,000 for the entire year. Entire year. They weren't making that. There was an almost $200,000 balloon payment due on the property they did have. 57 in Sunday school. And I remember just saying, Lord, I, I, we knew the Lord had called us here. We knew. I remember driving back to Ohio and saying, Susan, I know he's called us there. I'm not sure if it's to conduct a funeral or to experience a resurrection, but I know he's called us there. But we began to share, watch God work. Watch God work. We'd have little cards made. Watch God work. And I want to tell you, from that $118,000 budget where we weren't meeting, over 32 years now, over $60 million has been given to the Lord's work. $10 million to foreign missions. $9 million to the community development here in our campus ministries. That's just... Financial, that's numbers. But how do you calculate the value of several thousand people knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior? How do you calculate the value of families redeemed? How do you calculate the value of children raised up and now going on serving the Lord? How do you calculate churches that have been planted, leaders that have been sent out, missionaries at home and abroad? My word. We serve an awesome God who takes the things that are not and says they are. Watch God work. Friends, we as a church have seen God's miracles in our hands. And as we partner and participate with the Lord, with what he has given us, not what we wish we had, but what he has given us, as we are faithful with that, he works his miracles. And I believe with all my heart, I believe it, and I say it before you, and I say it before the Lord God Almighty, I believe the greatest miracles are yet to come for this family. I do believe that. And friends, I have reached that age that I, I want to be like Caleb. You know, he was a lot older than me, and he was saying, I want that mountain that the Lord has given me. But I recognize something. The miracles may not happen in my lifetime. Miracles may not be a part of my ministry oversight. But I've reached a point in time that I want to recognize that the miracles don't have to be about me. And I don't even have to see them. But I want to be a part of what's going to happen yet after my life. Right? Let's share in them. Jehovah Jireh Sunday is coming up on November 18th. That's in that brochure. 
And I'm going to ask you and ask you to pray prayerfully. Give what you have. Asking God to provide. And let's watch God work. You know, I've been thinking about something for a long time. And I've shared it with, with our staff and our deacons. And I've challenged them about it. And I've said, what, what if we actually did that? What if just one week we gave the Lord what we have? What, what if everyone said, by God's grace, I'm praying he'll enable me to give one week's salary, pay, to the work of the Lord, to the building of his kingdom and his house and thanksgiving? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? What we have. You say, well, how would you do that? Seven weeks away. How about if you just set aside a day each week? Now, some of us can't do that perhaps because of situations. And right now you are receiving from the blessing of God, people's generosity. But some of us could do much more than that. Some of us without any struggle to do much more than one week's. But friends, I pray that we will honor God beginning on November 18th and going forward those next few weeks to give as we've never given before for the miracles to come as we've never seen before. Now I want to ask you something about this little boy. He gave everything he had. Let me ask you something. You think he regretted it? You think that little boy said, they took my lunch? No, no. You see, the little boy gave it to Jesus. He gave what he had. He gave it to him for them. And that's what we do. When we give in a way that honors the Lord, you don't give it to the church. You don't give it to some special need. No, you give it to the Lord. It's for him. And it's for them. And the Lord says, now, let me show, what, show you what I'm going to do. And multiply that. I'm here to tell you. 32 years later, I'm still saying, Lord, show us again. Show us again. Show us again.